Remain standing if able and let's give our full attention to the reading of God's holy infallible word, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The word of the Lord. Father, your word is open before us now, so we pray that you would renew our hearts and our minds through the faithful preaching of it. Bless our pastor, we pray. Give him unction and liberty in his speech. Pierce our hearts. Teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please, friends, be seated. Well, good morning. Brian, just use the word unction. How many of you know unction? have used that recently in your uh, parlance. Unction is, uh, the, the, the quick definition of unction is when the heart of the gospel runs from the heart of the preacher to the congregation. Uh, and it really is a prayer of mine, uh, especially this morning as we come to Romans chapter 8. I love Romans chapter 8 because I so often live uh, in a Romans 7 world and a Romans 7 life. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, you remember last week Paul says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my body another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. This this. Uh, you know, the good that I would do, I don't do, the evil that I would not do, that I find myself doing, you know, and as I look at my week this past week, I'm like, what a, what a, what a miserable person I am. I, you know, I, I face troubles and difficulties in life, and, you know, rather than praying through them, I, I go to sports, you know, how are the Cardinals doing, how is, uh, you know, they didn't do very well actually uh, this week, but, you know, can I divert myself from my problem that I'm facing rather than taking it to the Lord, or, uh, you know, with, with the kids as a parent, I, I constantly find myself failing. They, they come and, and they maybe do something or ask a question. It's not the right time or they don't do it in the right way. And I get frustrated and my irritation and annoyance show. And I'm like, am I really this angry guy uh, on the inside? And then driving, you know, the impatience that, that comes through. I mean, somebody doesn't turn the corner right away. And sure, they may be on their phone. Uh, but 
really, is that, you know, is that well of anger in me? And the reality is, yeah, I mean, that, 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 is, my, that is my life. That is my experience in so many of these ways. And I, I can really relate to Paul where he says at the end of chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? I, I see that same law at work in my members. And, and then I look around the world, and you, you just realize that it's not only the stuff in us, which sometimes we talk about theologically as the guilt of sin, and I've got plenty of that, but there's also just the pollution of sin, the fact that we live in a world where we have to endure things uh, that come about because of somebody else's sin because of corrupt politicians or because of uh, people who are supposed to be caring for us who do things that damage us and harm us and uh, and we experience that that stuff that clings to us and, and so we, we experience life not in terms of freedom but we inter- we experience life in terms of condemnation we experience life, you know, as we look at ourselves, as we look at where we are, both the guilt and the pollution of sin, it's, oh, wretched man that I am, the condemnation that we can speak to with regards to ourself. And this is why, uh, you know, coming out of this experience, uh, this is why Romans 8 has been called the greatest chapter ever written. Uh, Romans 8 gives us uh, a vista. You know, Bryant last week talked about hiking up a mountain. I mean, this is the 18,000 foot. I know you only did 14, but uh, this is the 18,000 foot view uh, of the glories of the gospel. Uh, One writer puts it this way, no chapter of scripture reaches the same sustained levels or covers the same ground as Romans 8. It's a description of the Christian life from death to life, from justification to glorification, from trial and suffering to the peace and tranquility of the new heaven and the new earth. It contains exhortations to persevere as well as reassurances of God's preservation of his people. And no chapter has been decided more than this one in expounding the application of redemption in the life of an individual. In short, Romans 8 gives us a picture of salvation in its completeness. And we're going to be looking at this chapter for the next four or five weeks. Uh, Today we are, are going to just dive into these first eight verses and, and bathe in the reality that God can come to someone like me, that God can come to someone like you and say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, it, it is such a wonderful, life-changing truth. And, and my prayer, so getting back to unction, you know, my, my prayer truly is that this gospel truth would sing in all of our souls today as we walk out of this place. No matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, I recognize every week that we come that there's lots of folks at different places. I mean, some of you 
grew up in the church and yeah, you're kind of done with the church and religion and, and I, I get that. There's a lot of things that are frustrating about that. Others of you are, are walking close to Jesus, experiencing the joy. Others of you are, are just confused. Uh, so no matter where you are in the journey, I, I trust that, that God's Spirit will meet us each where we need to be. So to get back to this no condemnation, I want to actually start at the end of the passage that we printed for you today. Uh, because to really understand it, I think we have to deal with this obstacle first. And maybe some of you saw it. It's in verse 7 and verse 8. You see what Paul is saying there. He says, uh, the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it, the mind set on the flesh, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And you say, well, wait a minute, pastor. I have a neighbor. And as far as I know, they're not a Christian. As far as I know, they, they don't have a relationship with God. But they do a lot of really nice things. In fact, if I had to judge them versus me, they probably are a better neighbor than I am. Uh, and they probably do more good things on the grand scale of things than I can see that I do in my life. So what does this mean that... Uh, the mind set on the flesh cannot please God. We stumble over this. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think about this. Maybe you don't think about it. But I think this is a crucial point because this will help us move towards understanding what it means that there's no condemnation. So if you remember, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, uh, this is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5 actually, he, he is talking to the, his disciples and he's saying you have to have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees were well known in terms of observing the law. They scrupulously kept the law. If the law said to tithe 8%, they tithe 10%. If the law said to wash four times, they wash six times. If the law said to do anything, they outdid what the law was calling them to do. And yet, what Jesus is saying is that that is not enough. That they cannot and have not earned their salvation. There is something beyond just simply doing good things. There is something beyond sort of a moral conformity or an ethical conformity. There's something beyond that that is required for a right relationship to God. And if you remember Matthew chapter 5 and then 6 and 7, Jesus begins to deal with the heart. He says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who lusts after someone illicitly in their heart has already committed adultery. So on the outside, you've conformed, but on the inside, you know, and then Jesus goes on. He says, you've heard it say, don't murder. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister or with his kids or uh, whoever it might be has already murdered them in their heart. And that's the point. 
The point here, it, it's not the external gauge whether we are doing good things or not. Uh, we, we all have the ability as image bearers of God to do nice things for people. We all have the ability to do uh, things that are morally upright and true, that are in ethical conformity. But what Paul is saying, what God is saying to us through His Spirit, is that there is a level in which doing good things aren't good or isn't good. It isn't good if our heart is not in it, if our heart is not doing it in order to please God. There's actually a selfishness or a pride. I mean, I can do good things because they benefit me. Like, if I'm a good neighbor, then maybe my neighbor will be a good neighbor. And if I mow his lawn, maybe he'll shovel my driveway. And there's, there's a, a certain utilitarianism, there's a certain uh, pride and selfishness that underlies that. And, and what, what God is saying here is he's saying there is a righteousness that is beyond just mere ethical conformity. Because that's what Paul's been saying all throughout, that the law cannot save us. You cannot keep the law uh, well enough in order to save you. Now, some of you are very aware of that. You're like, I have tried my best to keep the law, this moral standard, and, and I fail at it over and over and over again. But there are others of you here who are like, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, I go to church pretty regularly. I'm involved in two Bible studies. Uh, I, I regularly give out of my, I try to be a good neighbor. I try to be a good parent. And we, we look at it and we say, we're, we're doing okay. Maybe not perfectly, but better than most people. And what Paul is saying, no. There's a righteousness that is outside of the law. The law brings death, but there's a righteousness that comes from Christ that brings life. So, the obstacle is we listen to this and we think, you know, what is Paul saying? But we have a, a misunderstanding of the kind of righteousness that Paul is talking about. Uh, we have a misunderstanding of what it means to please God. The truth is, there's an overcomer. So, this is the second place where we want to stop. What, what, what Paul and what the gospel comes to us and says is not that we can earn this on our own. It's not that we affect our own sort of salvation plan and if we keep the law good enough, then we will be right with God. But notice what, what Paul says here, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not there is no condemnation for those who have kept the law. There is no condemnation for those who go to church. It's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. The point is not your obedience, but your location. You know, where are you? Who are you in? And in this case, it's a person Christ Jesus, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemns sin 
in the flesh. Here, here Paul is laying out for us again, we've had these verses over and over that sort of summarize the gospel, the gospel in the nutshell. And, and here Paul has given us another verse. You know, what the law could not do, what you could not do by keeping the law, what the Pharisees could not do in their scrupulous obedience of the law, God has done in Christ by sending him in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's a uh, un- uh, unusual. It's the only time that this particular phrase is used here. But Paul is saying two things very strongly. He's saying, on the one hand, Christ came to identify with us in all of our sin, sinful flesh, but that he was not sinful himself, likeness. And it's only this combination of phrase that can get across uh, the, the, the purpose that he has here so fully. Uh, but he's also saying that he came for sin. Now, if you look in your ESV footnote, maybe some of you have other translations, uh, will oftentimes it'll say he came as an offering for sin or an atoning sacrifice for sin. And this goes back to the Old Testament, Leviticus, number of places. Whenever we see these two words, for sin, which are literally the words that are there in the Greek, it, it implies or it, it, it imports that whole concept. So when we see that, we, we understand that he came as an offering for sin in the likeness of sinful flesh. Like he, he came among us and he took upon himself all of the shame, all of the condemnation, all of the blame, all of everything. And he took it and became that offering for sin, nailing it to the cross in order that we would have a righteousness that comes not from our keeping the law, but from His perfect fulfillment of the law. And we have a righteousness then that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We are truly set free. We don't often really capture or think about uh, just the, the power of the, the shame of the cross that Jesus bore. I mean, we, we have crosses that are in our jewelry, they're, you know, in our churches, and, and we become sort of inoculated uh, to the, the brutality of the cross. We come sort of inoculated to what the cross meant in the first century. Fleming Rutledge, in her work on the crucifixion, says this, Crucifixion was a form of advertisement or public announcement that this person hanging on this cross was the scum of the earth, not fit to live, more of an insect than a human being. The crucified wretch was pinned up like a specimen. Crosses were not placed in the open for convenience of sanitation, but rather for maximum public exposure. In short, crucifixion as a means of execution in the Roman Empire had as its express purpose the elimination of its victims from consideration as members of the human race. So when, when, when Paul comes to us and he says, this is who Jesus was and what he became, He's telling us that all of the blame, all of the shame, all of the condemnation that we attach to ourselves, either because of things that we've done 
or because of things that were done to us, Jesus has taken it all on himself and made himself nothing, was willing to be considered less than even a member of the human race in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So our obstacle, you know, this sense of what righteousness is, our hope is the fact that we have an overcomer. Uh, that overcomer is Jesus. The question is, you know, are you in Christ? You know, that, that's the question. Are you in Christ? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Now, again, so often we want to affect our own sort of self-salvation projects. You know, we, we want to go about in terms of being in Christ by doing enough good things to be in Christ. You know, if I obey more, if I give more, if I, you know, go to this Bible study or that Bible study, or if I raise my kids a certain way, then I will be in Christ. If my kids turn out a certain way, then I will be in Christ. But that's, that's, that's not it, again. That's, that's self-salvation. What Jesus says to us, what Paul says to us, uh, what the Spirit is communicating to us is surrender. Will you surrender your life? Will you surrender all of your running away? And, and, and note, there's two ways that we run from Christ. You know, we, we run from Him through our profligacy, you know, through, through drinking and through, you know, all of the things that we associate with those who are outside of Christ, going away from that. But we also run from Him in our righteousness. We run from Him when we try to save ourselves, when we try to scrub ourselves up. It, it's the two sons, right? You've got the prodigal son who went away, riotous living. But you have the other prodigal son who said, I've done everything, now I deserve something from you, Father. Both of them are far away from the Father's love. And what, what Paul, what, what we're being invited to here is a relationship in Christ Jesus. And the key is surrender. You know, sometimes we call that faith. You know, faith isn't a matter of got to believe the right thing. I mean, yes, it has content, but, but faith is surrender to Jesus. I give up on myself. I give up on all of these ways that I'm looking for happiness, including my own self-righteousness, and we surrender at the foot of the cross, and we look to Jesus as the overcomer of our faith. And the result is just, it's an outstanding outcome. The, the outcome, Paul says, is there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have enough pastoral experience to recognize that I am preaching to people who all go through periods of self-condemnation. Now, we, we all take that on ourselves. Again, sometimes it's because of the guilt. I just lost my temper with my kids again. You know, I just lost it at somebody in front of me driving. I, I just uh, went somewhere that I shouldn't have gone in my mind. We, we have guilt and we bring that condemnation on ourselves. Sometimes it's because of things that have happened to us. We feel so much shame. We feel so much dirtiness. We see, feel so much of, of the world's filth that is clinging to us. But, but Christ is saying to us, there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because remember, he came to take that. He came to remove that. He became that so that we could be the righteousness of God. And this exceeds any righteousness that we could earn for ourselves. This is so pure. This is so holy. This is so filling in terms of who we are. It's given us a completely different identity. And this is where we live. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And note, Paul says five times, uh, in, in verses 5 to, to 7, he says five times, set your minds on this. If you look at it as it's printed in your bulletin, they just go straight up and down, you know, right there. There's a line of minds. And, and Paul is saying, set your minds on this truth. This is where you need to live in your thinking and in your being that there is no condemnation. Whatever you are struggling with, you know, some of it, again, is guilt. Some of it is, is not your fault. Uh, you know, some of it is even stuff that has to do with things that we struggle with, like depression and all of these things. Paul is saying, no condemnation. Preach it to yourself. Call it to mind. Allow this to be your reality. Uh, and, and it's one of those things where it's such a tricky thing because Paul says, set your minds on it. And we say, okay, well, I have, to, I have to set my mind on it more. I have to try harder to have my mind here. And, and pretty soon we, we, we've, ma <coughs> we've made that uh, setting our minds, uh, we've made that into a work of righteousness for ourselves. Uh, but that's not what Paul is saying. Look in verse 9, if you have your Bibles open. You know, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact God dwells in you. Uh, he, he's saying this is the reality. If God dwells in you, you are in the Spirit. This is the same thing that we saw in Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If you have died with Christ, you are seated with Him in the heavenlies. This is your reality. So what Paul is saying is not try harder to be someone that you're not. He's saying this is who you are. Be the person that God has made you to be. Yes, we are still in a Romans 7 world. We can still struggle with the presence of remaining sin. But it does not have authority over you. You do not need to kowtow to it, bow down to it. Be who God has made you to be. Allow your minds to be filled with the truths that God is saying over you. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Such a, such a powerful concept and so hard for us to get our minds around. One of my favorite stories about this, and you may have heard it before, but Becky Pippert uh, tells a story in one of her books, I think it's called Hope Has Its Reasons, about speaking at a conference and uh, a young woman coming up to her afterwards just wrecked in, in her own soul and spirit and, and crying. And uh, she says, I, I want to believe the gospel so much, but my story keeps getting in the way. And so Becky, realizing that this was a sensitive moment, took her aside, you know, allowed her to tell her story. She said, here's the deal. 
my, my husband and I, and, and she was a beautiful mother, four kids, uh, when, we were, when we were dating, were serving in a church in the youth ministry. And uh, it was a sweet time. Uh, we saw lots of good things happening. The church loved us. They, they, they thought the world of us. But we became sexually active, and I became pregnant. And, and I couldn't bear the, the public humiliation of that. We convinced ourselves that it, it wouldn't be good for the church. And, and so I did the most horrible thing that I can imagine. I had an abortion. When we came time to get married, we walked down the aisle. The whole church was celebrating. Uh, everybody thought, what a beautiful bride. Look at her. Look how happy you, she was. All I could think to myself was, you're a murderer. You were so proud that you couldn't bear the shame and humiliation of being exposed for what you are. But I know what you are, and so does God. You have murdered an innocent baby. She condemned herself and lived with that day after day after day. Pippert says she was sobbing so deeply that she could not speak. As I put my arms around her, a thought came to me very strongly, but I was afraid uh, to say it. This young woman continued. She's like, I can't believe that I would do something so horrible. How could I have murdered an innocent life? How is it possible that I could do such a thing? I love my husband. We have these four children. I know the Bible says God forgives all of our sins, but I can't forgive myself. I've confessed this sin a thousand times, and I still feel such condemnation, such shame, such sorrow. The thought haunts me most is how could I murder an innocent life? Pippert says, I took a deep breath, steeled myself in the spirit, and I said, I don't know why you are so surprised. You know, this isn't the first time that your sin has led to death. She looked at me in utter amazement. My dear friend, when you look at the cross, all of us show up as crucifiers. The religious, the non-religious, the good, the bad, the aborters or the non-aborters, all of us are responsible for the death of the only innocent one who ever lived. Jesus died for our sins, past, present, and future. Do you think there are any sins of yours that Jesus didn't have to die for? The very sin of pride that caused you to destroy your child is what killed Christ as well. It does not matter that you weren't there 2,000 years ago. We all sent him there. Luther, Luther said that we carry the very nails that killed him in our pockets. So if you have done it before, then why couldn't you do again? She stopped crying. She looked me right in the eyes and she said, you're absolutely right. I have done something worse than killing my baby. My sin is what drove Jesus to the cross. It doesn't matter that I wasn't there pounding the nails. I'm still responsible for his death. Do you realize the significance of what you are telling me? I came to you saying that I had done the worst thing imaginable, and you tell me that I've done something even worse than that. I grimaced a little because I knew that this was true. But then she said, but Becky, if the cross shows me that I am far worse than I ever imagined, it also shows me that, that my evil has been absorbed and forgiven. If the worst thing a human can do is to kill God's son, and that can be forgiven, 
then how can anything else, even my abortion, not be forgiven? I'll never forget the look in her eyes as she sat back in awe and quietly said, talk about amazing grace. And this time she wept, not out of sorrow, but out of gratitude. This is the power of what Christ has done and how it sets us free. You know, no matter where you've been, what you've done, nothing compares with the death of Jesus Christ. But it's that same death that sets us free to live in a Romans 8 world. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has taken it all. He has taken every single ounce, every single pigment of stain. He has taken it all, and we bear nothing else. Brothers and sisters, I, I hope you hear the invitation to be found in Jesus. I hope you hear uh, the, the warmth of that embrace and the power, the freedom that it brings to those of us who find ourselves there. No condemnation, either from the guilt of sin, of which there is much. I mean, we are guilty. We all carry his nails in our pockets. We are so guilty and we deserve hell. but we are set free. We are so polluted. We are so marked by sin of others, but we are set free. No condemnation. And this is why then Paul says, you know, the second part of this outstanding outcome or outrageous outcome is that first of all, there's no condemnation, but then secondly, we live life by the Spirit. And we're going to be looking at this uh, heavily next week, but it's a life, he says in verse 6, that is life and peace. You remember Jesus says, I, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. I have come that, that you would be the people that you were created to be. All of that stuff, you know, whether you are pursuing it as the, as the younger brother, prodigal, sex, you know, money, all of those things, the worldly pleasures, if, if that's your path, you, you're never going to find happiness. You might find all the success in the world, but you will find, just like everybody else who has gotten there, that it's empty at the top. That there is nothing there that will finally satisfy you. But you also might be on the road to pursuing, you know, your own sort of no condemnation through righteousness. You're keeping every law. You're you're doing everything perfectly. But that too... It's not going to bring you to what you want to be. It's only in Christ that we find a life of joy and peace. Brothers and sisters, we've only just scratched the surface of this greatest chapter ever written. And in the weeks to come, we are going to be moved beyond our justification into the the glorious life by the Spirit, who we are, what God invites us to, to ultimately uh, the the glory that awaits for us in heaven. Please, you know, read ahead. Allow these words to transform your hearts and your minds. Uh, May you be renewed as we think upon the Lord. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this 
uh, this day. We thank you for this, this passage of Scripture that is so needed. We, we live that Romans 7 world, so much condemnation, and yet, Lord, we know that our reality for those of us in Christ Jesus lies not in, O oh, wretched man that I am, but in there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we are doing battle, and yes, we are waiting the, the final return of our overcomer, but we know that it's a battle that has been won, and we know that we rest not in ourselves, but we rest in him who said, it is finished. It is finished. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.